Hi, this is Steve O'Mooney, and you're listening to another great show only on the 4i Radio Network. For more great shows, feel free to check out www.4iradio.com. Wallop and web snappers. My spider sense is tingling. Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Doug. And I'm Derek. And is your spider sense tingling? Uh, hello, I'm from the Comics Code Authority, and I'm here to uh, to tell you that this episode has been banned. We are going to shut down this podcast, and uh, this episode will never see the light of day. After we uh, publish it once, then we are going to pull it, and it will be gone, because it Ooh. contains subject matter that is inappropriate for children. <laughs> to listen to the show, find us at 4 com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. And we have a little bit of business, some delicious biscuit business, um, because we had some Word Snappers words last week. We had two biscuit-themed Word Snappers submissions, which is just a delight. To be honest, <laughs> yeah, they were across like two different months, like so. Yeah, I think it was. A, I don't. I think it was a coincidence, but I, it has to have been, right? I guess so. <laughs> so we got one submission from Lillian Grimes, which was "You Son of a Biscuit," which I was so excited about. I don't know if I've said it in an episode or something, but "Son of a Biscuit" is a thing I say all the time, anyway, Lillian. So. Yeah. You you made me a very happy podcaster. Um, and the other one was submitted by Carl Linderholm, and that was Let's Make Biscuits. Yeah. <laughs> Which, yes, let's. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, Love it. Beautiful, beautiful pair of submissions. Yeah. Super into it. Yeah. Well, we are talking about a very genuinely interesting episode this week. Oh Not boy. a facetiously interesting episode uh, like last week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This one is actually quite fascinating um, for a number of reasons. More than I expected, to be honest. Yeah. yeah, me like, too. This is like, a, you know, this is a famous, infamous, whatever you'd want to call it, episode of Amazing Friends. This is the last episode of the first season. This is the last episode we're going to be doing for a while. This um, <laughs> is a doozy. Because it's like, it's plenty of cartoons have episodes that like you know are pulled from syndication or whatever yeah. um and 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 they're almost always really interesting because sometimes they're for legitimate reasons sometimes they're for stupid reasons sometimes it's a mix of both um and and in this case it's like it's like one of those cases where it's not like it was scrubbed from existence or anything this episode isn't available on Disney Plus it only aired once and wasn't ever syndicated you can still buy it on Amazon Prime you can still buy it on iTunes so it's mm-hmm. i think it's been like in in like other regions 
versions that have released DVDs of this show, it's been included. So it's not like it's stopped existing. People have always known about it. But anytime, anytime that something is like pulled from from regular airings or reruns or something, it's always going to be interesting because it's like, okay, well, is this for a legitimate reason or not or some mix of it? And I'm sure we'll have discussions about that. The main reason that this one was uh, that it's cited for being pulled is because of all its Nazi references and not like vague Nazi references in the way that a lot of cartoons have done. But mm-hmm. like, hey, here's a bunch of swastikas. Here's yeah. just a whole documentary about what Adolf Hitler did and what happened in World War II and stuff. So <laughs> not the kind of stuff that you often see on uh, Saturday morning cartoons. So I, I, I understand why it's a controversial one. Then there's going to be stuff to talk about in it for sure in regards to that. <laughs> it's definitely not what I expected, though, knowing no. having never seen it and knowing that it was pulled for the fact that it had overt Nazi references. Like the stuff that it contains is not the stuff I expected. No, it's it's a lot more educational. Like, yep. in, like that. It, like it seems like it's trying <laughs> to be educational. Yeah. And and actually, like, kind of trying to be kind of responsible about some of it, some of it too. It's a Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends show, so it still like, yeah, becomes ridiculous. And honestly, the the the, the most problematic stuff I think in this episode has nothing to do with the Nazism either. Agreed. <laughs> but what's <laughs> but, funny is even with the stuff that is that seemingly more problematic than simply like trying to include a history lesson about Nazism, it still feels like it was probably done with like admirable intentions i think so too like it's, <laughs> it's wild it's, it's a fascinating episode it for is so many reasons i never would have expected right and it <laughs> and it makes me kind of, and it it's honestly made me think about this kind of stuff because i don't really know exactly where i'd land on like on on the dis- I mean for one the decision to like pull it from syndication and stuff I think that this I think it very easily sh- should be on Disney plus and if they and yeah. they can include like you know their their sort of you know this episode contains blah 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 like content disclaimer that they do yeah. in front of other shows I think I'll be fine I think it's stupid to not include it on regular streaming because the kid's not going to stumble on this by accident I can I can sort of un- where I where I'm conflicted is that I can sort of understand not wanting to be like airing it on syndication when a kid of any age could be just watching the TV unattended and this episode pops in and then it's just like mom, what are Nazis? And then that could be a complicated conversation if the kid's like maybe too young to have that conversation. But then I'm sort of like, I don't know. There's ways that you can have that explanation without, you know, traumatizing the kid, you know? Like, yeah. Because I was thinking like, I don't really remember when I learned what the Holocaust was. I feel like I was really young when I learned what it was. And I think it's important to learn about that stuff before you're too old. Like, I mean, I don't know. lots of people read The Diary of Anne Frank in middle school, so yeah. it's not like a thing that, that kids don't know about. And I think we'll get into the specifics of it, but I think that this episode is pretty, like, unabashedly clear about, like, Nazis are bad guys and Adolf Hitler is one of the worst human beings in history. Like, I, right. I don't think that they're shy about taking a stance on that, and it really does feel like... I think it seemed like they were trying to do almost like the most like very special episode that a show like this could do where it's like we want to explicitly have something that is educational and has like a stance. Yeah. Uh, and and honestly like superheroes and Nazis like nothing new, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's all tied together. 
And the other thing this episode does, because, I mean, this this isn't, like, really tied to the plot, so I think it's okay to just sort of, like, state it out here. The most that they dive into it, like, they just give a very broad summary of, like, who Hitler was, who the Nazis were, and they reference, like, the master race and stuff. But they don't, like, go in to any specifics about the Holocaust or, like, genocide right. or anything, which, you know, would be very intense for kids to see on a Saturday morning cartoon. So I think they sort of leave the right stuff out of it to give enough context for what was going on without getting into like the true, but I, the true core hmm. of the horror of it maybe, but, but I don't I think know. You, I think, I think that there's even a way you probably could have included some of that stuff because the one thing you can't separate from Adolf Hitler and the Holocaust is the Holocaust. So like, I, mean, yeah. I think there's probably a way that like, cause I could see, I could see, um, somebody making the argument, and, and I think it's worth noting, like, I am not Jewish. I, neither one of us is, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, this is this is me speculating, and by all means, put me in my place if I'm saying something out of out of out of line or totally wildly wrong. But I could see somebody making the argument that, like, if you're gonna do this, you shouldn't take the Holocaust out of it. So, like, sure. figuring out a way that you can acknowledge the fact that Adolf Hitler killed a lot of people for their religion. I, I think you you might be able to figure out a way. I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Like, I, I'm, like I'm, I'm, I'm honestly yeah. not sure how you could do it, but I feel like there probably is some way. Because this, I mean, as much as this episode does explicitly state that Nazis are bad and that Adolf Hitler is one of the worst human beings in history, I mean, they do pretty much erase Jewish folks from they do. the history. <laughs> yeah. And granted, the, the, it's not the... The episode isn't entirely the history of World War II and Nazi Germany, but they do on two occasions um, in this episode very explicitly like set aside time to be like, this is what World War II was. This is who Adolf Hitler was. And I don't know how you would do it. And I could see where it would be incredibly scary to try to figure that out. Mm -hmm. And I'm with you on the like. It's much more complicated when it comes to, like, the syndication piece of it. Because I think there are certain things that they include in this that they didn't have to. Yeah. Um, that I, I agree, like, would would definitely warrant the, hey, we included some symbolism and some actions and some language in this that could be alarming to be caught off guard by. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I'm kind of rambling at this point. No, but... it's, it's, it's complicated because I can tell you my, my experience – with like any sort of learning about the Holocaust in general was that like my family was Jehovah's witness. Like I was raised Jehovah's witness and they were one of the communities and groups of people that, that were like rounded up in the Holocaust in Germany. Mm. And so that was made very clear. I know that that was made very clear to me at a young age. Like we were educated on that, you know, Jehovah's witnesses are not nearly as persecuted as pretty much any other community that was involved in the Holocaust historically has been, but they were, but I didn't know that. Like that's, Mm -hmm. I'm learning this for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Like we, uh, you know, there's, um, there's like a, a a documentary type thing. Like, I mean, it was basically a propaganda video, but also a historical video that the like kind of Jehovah's witness global organization made that was called purple triangles because that was the symbol that they used, you know, mm-hmm. um, like in place of like the, the star of David and in place of, um, uh, what is it? The pink triangles, I think for, yeah. for, for gay people. Um, so like it was purple triangles for Jehovah's witnesses. So like that was, um, so we, I learned about that very early and they were always very, very frank about that, you know, because I mean, I'm so cynical about it because I'm not a Jehovah's Witness anymore. So I'm like, well, part of that is to make sure that there's sympathy, so that you can have even more of a persecution complex. But that's kind of different, <laughs> by perspective from being there internally. 
the fact of the matter is that still happened and it still was like horrific religious persecution in the same way that, that, you know, other groups got. And so like, you know, being a Jehovah's Witness at the time, I definitely like felt it really hard when I learned that like my community and the, the, the religion that I was raised in and believe was part of that. But I don't think that like, I don't regret learning about that as early as I did. Like, like I said, I don't remember when it was I learned about it, but I know that by the time that I was reading the diary of Anne Frank or that we watched Schindler's List in school, I already kind of knew about it. I was just learning about more of the political sides of it as well. So all of that is to say that, like, I kind of agree with you that I think that there's a way to present it without just, like, straight up traumatizing people. I think where you run into problems is just, like, the context of where you're learning it from. And I don't know if Spider-Man and his amazing friends or any Saturday morning cartoon is the right place to, like, learn about the full extent of it or not, given that... It's in a very particular context, and the context of this episode especially is just to, like, explain why this supervillain is after – is making references to this particular group of people and after this particular group's weapons, basically. And it's just to be, like, to explain who the Nazis were, and then it gives a little historical lesson for context for that. But, like, it being in the context of, like, a superhero universe I think makes it a little weird because it's sort of like, oh, wait, this is a real thing that happened – and I feel like you you it makes you realize there are people as evil as the Red Skull, but that there aren't like superheroes like Captain America or Spider Man or whatever, uh, because that's not you know part of the narrative. And that's sort of that that I think can sure. be more traumatizing than just like if you were learning about the facts of it from you know from your family or from reading a book or from a class or something like that. I just think they got so close already because they introduce a character who we'll certainly talk about, who explicitly says like. My father was a soldier in World War II. And then you have the professor who talks about, like, this is this is the music of the war when I was growing up. Like, they, they, they put other characters in the episode that provide sort of a personal context that I think you could have included a character or just made Professor Wells that character, um, who we haven't talked about yet. So, but is a character who's one of the ones who explains a little bit of history, um, I think could have been more like representational of or or like provided more representation than just like a history lesson right so like i don't know like there could have been a jewish character in this episode that would be sort of the appropriate person um to be like yeah that like that was i i I can't write the dialogue off the top of my head right because it's it's a really tricky thing to do but i feel like they kind of got really close already by having all these opportunities to explain who Adolf Hitler was to explain what World War II was to be so connected by being only a generation away because this was, you know, less than 40 years prior. <laughs> so I don't know. I just feel like, I guess the only reason I, I, I don't know. It's, it's complicated because, because there are, you know, the Marvel, the Marvel universe and actually the DC universe too, not just the Marvel universe, like explicitly includes like that history in their universe and their canon right so like tackling that responsibility like responsibly is obviously a big deal but i just feel like if you're going to if you're gonna open the door i think it's tough to be like yeah it's fine for you to sort of pick and choose which parts of the horror that is adolf hitler to to utilize here again not to horrify children but 
like you said, like, I don't remember when I learned about the Holocaust, which means I had to have learned about it very early. <laughs> you know, if I can't remember when that happened. Yeah. And and, I, and again, I don't even know what you need to include, but I just, that's the only thing I, that's the only thing that I feel like you, you probably could have, if you're going to do this, you probably could have done even just a slight bit more, but. But I still am surprised at how much they did. Like, I'm shocked. Yeah. I really honestly thought this was going to be an episode yeah, that just had yeah. Red Skull and a bunch of, like, people being Nazis without any semblance of responsibly explaining anything. So it it, it falls exactly in that zone we talk about when we talk about this show in 1981 and Spider-Woman, which you had already referenced. You know, like, it, it falls exactly in the zone of, like, I really admire what you were trying to do. We just know how to do it better now, I think. <laughs> we do, but also, like, sometimes we still don't, though, because a lot oh, of Oh, the... for sure. Lots... I mean, I guess we we is... I, I probably didn't say that correctly, but... <laughs> but I, I can see what they were yeah. trying to do, and I admire them for trying to do it's it. It's more of an attempt to really interrogate, like, what, like, the actual context for, for that stuff is. Um, that stuff, like sounds so offhand like referring to you know like everything in world war ii like it's all there's a lot of complicated shit involved and to actually try to provide any kind of context for that as opposed to like i'm thinking of the the justice league three-parter which it's been 20 years since that came out now but still 2001 is much later than 1981 i just remember how bizarre it was to have that to have a time travel episode where they go back to world war ii and like they try so hard to like allude to nazis without having nazis and like they don't have a swastika they just have another flag with like a, a similar ish symbol but it's not really but it's not a swastika so it's okay you can show it on tv and like hitler's been replaced by vandal savage but then they like briefly show hitler like cryogenically frozen in the end it's really weird but like see like that <laughs> and i haven't watched that but like that doesn't feel like the right way to do uh, yeah it i think me. it's i like i do I, I enjoy those episodes they're really fun sure but i and, and i and i don't think that it was like I think that they were operating under the restraints that they had because I, I think the problem is just that no network will allow you to yeah. remotely, authentically show, uh, you know, show what was happening in Germany in World War during World War Two in a Saturday morning level cartoon or any cartoon aimed at kids, you know, unless it's like meant to be a serious special or something like that. Yeah. So like, so that's there's no way to really handle it responsibly, but at the same time, like. I, I can't deny that, like, you know, World War II stories aren't often fun, you know? Like, I, I it's, it is, like you said, kind of intrinsically linked with the history of these, of, of the lore of, of these universes. So, it's a, it's a weird yeah. position that, that we've kind of put ourselves in with, like, how we want to, you know, be able to address these kinds of things. Yeah, I just uh, it's interesting. And as we go through the episode, there are certain things that we'll we'll sort of revisit this point on. But it's always just interesting for me to think about stuff like this, because, like, there's a part of me that wants to just simplify it to. And I know that simplifying any of this is like not the right way to go about it. Right. Yeah. Um, Which I'll acknowledge. But like there's a part of me that wants to simplify it down to like, but Nazis are bad and fuck Nazis. And so, like, making Nazis your villain not in an exploitative way, but in a way like this where I, I feel like they're trying to be educational and the takeaway is Nazis are the bad guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know. Like there's something about it that that where I want to just be like, that's okay. Like I I, I don't know. I I didn't feel like I walked away from this episode feeling like it was exploitative. Um, no, not at all. So I feel like if that's if 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 you can strike that balance of like 
we're doing this because we want it to be educational and we want the educational lesson to be fuck Nazis. Like that's cool with me. Yes, please. Yeah. I I don't know that banning again, banning is a strong word in this particular instance, but like, I don't know that, that banning that is, uh, is the right move, but I'm also the person who will like openly say that I think it's okay to have exceptions to freedom of expression when it comes to Nazi symbolism. So I don't know, you know, like it's complicated. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't know how to reconcile that. The fact that I think you shouldn't like legally be allowed to display certain things, but then you should be allowed to do this episode. Like, I don't know. But I don't this really know episode to do isn't, you couldn't like, I could see no way that you could use this episode as like propaganda for, for Nazis. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. like it's so clearly not in the same way that like using Nazi imagery and yeah. the way that I think you're talking about could usually would be, is probably the, the cases that you're referring to. Right. The only, the only thing that I think, could be a problem with this episode being a Saturday morning cartoon being watched by kids is just the fact that they include certain phrases and, and actions Ooh, yeah. um, that I don't think that they are prepared to, or have the time or ability to explain. Um, and that's the stuff I would, I would probably say like very much warrants like the, the sort of heads up at the beginning of an episode yeah. on a streaming service um, and probably should not have been included in the first place because kids just say whatever they hear. Yeah, you don't you don't want kids like having fun repeating Heil Hitler in the same way that people say Hail Hydra now. Like, you know, <laughs> that would happen. That that probably yeah, did no, happen. Yeah, I know, for sure. Yeah, I think for sure. I didn't, you know, I didn't, that didn't even really occur to me, but you're right. They don't, there's a lot of that in this episode, yeah. you know, that like. That's the stuff yeah. that I expected going into this episode. That's the stuff I thought. And maybe I, maybe I am. Uh, partially correct in that. I'm sure that I'm partially correct in that. That's the stuff I expected to see, and I didn't expect it to go any further in a responsible direction. I just expected to see a lot of that. Yeah. And there's not a ton of it, but there's enough of it that I would be like, mm, this is not an episode I would just like sit some kid down to watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I also still like that the the overall message is fuck Nazis. Absolutely. Know? Yeah. The other aspect of this episode that's interesting and like definitely problematic, and we're going to talk about it for sure. Um, yeah. But um, but that I wanted I did make it a point to kind of look up to see if there were ever any interviews about this character because I was surprised that it was a character that was not from the comics and created for this show, and just surprised that the character was included at all and wanted to know what the thought process yeah. was. And unfortunately, the thought process was not uh, nearly as complex as I was hoping it would be, but pretty much what I expected it to be. So Dennis Marks, who was the writer of this episode um, and kind of the showrunner for the show, I think, too, um, he created this character Hiawatha Smith that we're going to talk about. The quote that he has in an interview, a 2002 interview with SpiderFriends.com about this character, uh, he says, Hiawatha Smith was my Indiana Jones. Sort of obvious, yes? This was when the first Indiana Jones film came out and I wanted to take advantage of it. Red Skull was a Marvel character and, I believe, a Nazi. I don't know why he said I believe. Like, that's obvious, but okay. Um, Says, so the story situation with a Hiawatha, in parentheses, Indiana, character seemed a natural play off of the movie. I thought he might be a spinoff character, but we weren't spinning off characters then. The thing that, like, I was hoping that he would touch on in an interview was, like, the choice to make him an indigenous person and Mm -hmm. make that very, uh, very explicit in his character. And I don't. I don't know what the choice was with that. Um, I think it's cool that he made an Indiana Jones character and it is weirdly subversive that like 
fully intentional that you have in, in Indiana Jones, who like doesn't really hold up as well as a character nowadays because he's a white guy just like pillaging from from other other uh, cultures like and just stealing yeah. stuff to put in a museum. And to have your Indiana Jones character be an indigenous person is actually like accidentally a kind of subversive, interesting yeah. choice. But uh, but other than that, yeah, it's uh it's an interesting choice to create that character for this episode as basically your guest hero in it. Yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. Like I, it, you know, when I was watching it, I didn't even think about the Indiana Jones thing, but it, yeah. So, but, but hearing it, it's like, Oh yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Especially again, Indiana Jones and Nazis, you know what I mean? Like, like he just said, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so it makes sense. But yeah. I agree. Like when I was watching it, I was like, you know, there was the one part of me that was like, Oh man, this is exactly what I would expect from, a you know a person of of color uh created by these people for the show <laughs> but at the same time like yep. you said kind of accidentally brilliant in making the guest hero for a, an episode where the villains are nazis and and red skull uh, an indigenous person like that is actually kind of mm-hmm. brilliant and for that reason i'm like okay this isn't this isn't just a caricature um, even if by accident, yeah. um, even though they have plenty of caricaturistic characteristics. Uh-huh. Um, it's very much like Sunfire in this show where it's like, you know, I appreciate yeah. the attempt to include this character. You made him a very likable, heroic character. Like he's he's like objectively cool in the show, but it is still very 1981 yeah. in how you went about presenting yeah. him in every way. Yeah. I mean, so. we'll get into them as they come, but like right off the bat, they gave a Native American character a boomerang as their primary weapon, which you missed. You missed. Uh, you missed, Dennis Marks. <laughs> oh, boy. Yep. Um, cool. But yeah, I was also surprised that this was a character they created for the show. So yeah, interesting, interesting. <laughs> and never did anything with, right? Yeah. At all. I don't I don't think no. ever even appeared in comics, right? <laughs> Yeah, as far as I know, this is his only appearance in anything, and it's like it is kind of a bummer because obviously the way that he's he was that he's presented in this episode, there would need to be some sure. tweaks going forward. But I think that he would be a really fascinating character to like hold up his own comic yeah. series. Like I think that it would be really cool. So it is kind of a bummer that that yeah. he never went anywhere. Yeah, I don't this. know. I I plan to do you know whatever reading I can on it. It doesn't sound like there's a lot. <laughs> Um, but it would be pretty cool if there were somebody who were native who said, like, you know, I feel like I could do something with this character in a responsible way that right. celebrates culture instead of, you know, takes advantage of it. That would be yeah. really cool. That would be really dope. Would be. Yep. Yep. <laughs> well, that was a lot of preamble, but I think it was very necessary for for context. For yeah. This episode. Well, and I think it allows us to introduce the subjects and then refer back yeah. to them when we get to specific instances, since we typically just go beat by beat. I feel like front loading the episode with that stuff in this case makes a lot more sense. Absolutely. Well, this episode that we are talking about is Spider-Man and his amazing friends season one, episode 13 entitled quest of the red skull. The synopsis per IMDb is the spider friends and professor Hiawatha Smith follow the red skull to an African Island. Nope. Where, yeah. Nope. Uh, where he plans to use experimental Nazi weapons to start World War III. The Red Skull finds out that he's being tracked, has the spider friends and Smith captured, and straps them to the (laughs) missiles. So unfortunate that this episode, whoever wrote this synopsis, makes the problematic mistake of mistaking South America for Africa. Cool story. Good. (laughs) 
God. I didn't actually. Yeah, I, this is what I didn't read the synopsis before uh, before before putting in the notes. So that's that, that took me a little bit yep. by surprise. It's, it's our tradition, Thanks. though. <laughs> yep. Original air date for this episode was uh, November 21st, 1981. Only air date as well. Written by Dennis Marks. Like we said, we talked about him in our episode eight. Few characters introduced, couple that we've already talked about. Actually, we mentioned it every single one of these at least once. Um, obviously, Red Skull in this episode, and he is voiced by Hans Conried. Um, he was the voice of Captain Hook, and per tradition, George Darling wow. as well. <laughs> in Disney's okay. animated Peter Pan, he was also the voice of Snidely Whiplash on the Dudley Do Right Show and the Bullwinkle Show. So the fact that he's playing an iconic villain here, uh, not really out of place or a surprise. <laughs> Um, and uh, he he was working, uh, like, in the early 40s, so this is a dude that, like, goes way back. Um, so he's also appeared in, like, a bazillion movies throughout the 40s and 50s, some credited, some not, some leads, some not. Um, but uh, I, I feel like the most iconic stuff that the general critical mass would recognize him for is being Captain Hook, who I didn't see this, but I feel like might have also been kind of modeled on him. Oh, interesting. Do you know what he looks like by any chance? No, I have no idea. Kind of looks, looks like. like Captain Hook. <laughs> interesting. That's cool. But I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't think that they would typically have have modeled their characters after their actors. They usually had like their own studio models. But like, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know. I, I I'm gonna have to look that up because uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that were a fun fact about Captain Hook. Interesting. Obviously, Hiawatha Smith, worth mentioning here. Um, Hiawatha Smith is voiced by Michael Ansara, who is not <laughs> an indigenous American. I uh, expect, I full on expected him to be a white guy. So honestly, yeah. I'm pleasantly surprised that it at least isn't just a white guy. It's not great. It's not well, good. But <laughs> and we, we, I believe we have. I don't even believe. I know for certain we have touched on this before. In this specific case, Michael Ansara is a Lebanese-American actor. So, yeah, they at least didn't get a white guy. But it's not good, and it wouldn't be enough today, right? But but it's like this weird, complicated thing where it's like, <sighs> you you were at least cognizant of the fact that you were casting not-white people for not-white roles but you hadn't gotten to the point yet where like, ah, uh, they're kind of brown, right? Was like not good enough. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. And we ran into that with the Sunfire episode too, where one of the, I mean, one of Sunfire himself was just voiced by a white guy. Um, but his uncle, right? That was his uncle, I think, um, yeah. was voiced by at least an Asian person, but not a Japanese person. Right. And, and yeah. you know, even those are two different discussions, right? Because this is, a native American character voiced by a Lebanese actor. And that's, you know, a Japanese character (laughs) being uh, portrayed by a Chinese actor. And at the very least there is discussion amongst East Asian actors about like, if that is okay or not. Right. Like it's, 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 it's even still a different and more complicated conversation than this. This is just plain a miss, but also not a surprise because Michael Ansara was frequently cast as Native American characters, Latino characters, the sort of, I don't know, Middle Eastern characters, because a lot of times writers just didn't give a fuck about where characters were from, especially if they were just brown characters. Like, they didn't even go further than that, (laughs) you know? Um, So, you know, it's not really a surprise here. It's one of those things where it's like, 
I'm happy. I'm happy you didn't get a white guy. I'm happy that this guy had work. I wish that you had found more than one brown person and and more appropriately people who actually were native or actually Latino or actually, you know, uh, Arab or were like Indian or, you know, like, and this guy played all those characters, like all those, those backgrounds and ethnicities. So yeah. 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 I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the casting agents for this show were just like, they just saw him, playing an indigenous person on TV and live action. And we're just like, yeah. Oh yeah, we'll just get that guy. And like, yeah. we're none the wiser <laughs> anyway, you know, but I also, you know, I don't, I don't know enough about, I don't know enough about what that looked like in the seventies and eighties to know if like, like was that, would that have been the only way that folks like this could maintain a career in acting? I don't know. Probably so. You know what Probably. I mean? I think that's the problem. Yeah. I, I have no idea. I have no clue. <laughs> Because if, if, if this actor was trying to be very ethical about it and was only playing Lebanese characters, he would let, get literally no roles in right. the 70s and 80s probably is the problem. Because who, so. right, who was writing that specifically, especially yeah. f- for that region? Yeah. And those conversations just weren't happening to the extent that they are now, you know? So, yeah. I – this – was so exciting to me. <laughs> I love this. I love this. I knew I recognized his name, and I was so happy to see this is who it was. His last handful of credits are for voicing Mr. Freeze in Batman the Animated Series, The New Adventures of Batman, and Batman Beyond. He's so good. He's so good. At mis- I just I just started um, a watch through. I've, I've started a very intimidating watch through of all the DCAU shows. And I'm like five episodes into Batman, the animated series. So I got a long way to go, but he's, I, I, I have gotten past the first Mr. Freeze episode. He's so incredible in that role. Like he's really, really good. It's just, I don't, I don't know how, how he did it. Cause it's such a particular performance that like, I don't even know how you come up with the performance that he gives in it. And it's just incredible. So yeah good actor so very good <laughs> oh yes oh yes <laughs> and good in this too just yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> um and then professor wells i just think is a fun person to note doesn't really play a huge role in this episode but he's voiced by a guy named michael evans who doesn't even have a ton of credits but was in over 100 episodes of the young and the restless Ooh. during the 80s and 90s as a character named doug <laughs> oh. or douglas austin okay. um so you know shout out to to Doug's. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> also sports a gnarly unibrow in this show. Uh, yeah. What? I mean, everything about his character is hella creepy. I was shocked that he wasn't revealed as a villain of some kind. But Yeah, they really did give him all the visual cues of some, which is maybe kind of cool, actually. Um, they gave him, like, all the, the sort of stereotypical, like, visual cues of a villain. And he's just some guy, you know? Yeah. He's still creepy. <laughs> so I guess that's fine. He's still creepy. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's actually get into this one. Let's let's talk about the episode itself. Yeah. Yeah. So this episode opens on two burglars rifling through a home full of historical artifacts. When they see a Native American tapestry featuring a swastika, one of the burglars salutes Adolf Hitler, revealing that the two burglars are Nazis. I actually kind of, I don't know. I I thought there was something interesting about the fact that the that one of them is like that's Native American idiot. Yeah. Because I do think – I think it's – I understand why, but I do recognize that, like, 
for for a lot of cultures and a lot of places, swastikas are just done. Like they're just gone, mm-hmm. and I for good reason, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that a lot of people realize like just how significant they were and probably still are. I'm I'm not smart to lots of other cultures. You know what I mean? So it's like kind of a cool detail. Yeah. The Nazis <laughs> didn't create the swastika as a no, symbol. They kind of co- they they co-opted it for their own thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I mean, and, and I, I really love that this was included right off the top and that kind of clued me in like, Oh, there's going to be more to this episode than yeah. I thought there would be. Same. You know? And, and this, and, and this, this one little detail doesn't go anywhere, but the fact that they, that's like a little educational tidbit that I don't know is like, common knowledge like i think it's generally a known thing that the swastika is a symbol in other cultures but i don't know how common it is either you know so i mean that that is like a a legitimately educational thing that i think is implemented in the right way and it's like it's also like the only connection that i can see to having hiawatha smith be a character in this um yeah so there's sort of like this really subtle connection to being like uh, to to why you know an indigenous person would would be at play in a Nazi story because there are yeah. there is that sort of cultural overlap that that sucks if you're an indigenous person especially right so that's, but they, you know yeah it doesn't go anywhere <laughs> they, or anything they, like that's a, it's a very tenuous connection in this episode but yeah but it's cool that it was you know included in in some way you know yeah I I chuckle because they they also would have had to go far more specific into what. Hiawatha Smith's actual <laughs> native background is Dude. for it to be fully appropriately educational. And there's no <laughs> way they were ever going to do more than just, he's an American Indian, right? You know yep. what I mean? Like, nope, nope. They oh, were going to go into like what actual <laughs> just, tribe just that was specific to. The general concept <laughs> of the quote unquote American Indian. That's, that's yeah. just, that's its own. That's just one singular thing. <laughs> Yep, <laughs> that's all exactly exactly <laughs> but like you said i think i had the same experience it clued me into the fact that this was this was going to be more than just the we decided to put a bunch of nazis into an episode and that's why this doesn't exist anymore i i, I could tell there was going to be some educational value in this one which was cool yeah well the two burglars continue through the house and they find an occupied bed and then say menacingly there he is before cutting to another scene I will say this episode hooked me pretty immediately. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in another house nearby, an ESU professor, Professor Wells, the one that sports the gnarly unibrow, <laughs> is hosting a party at his house, which feels weird to me that a professor is hosting a, a, a what he calls a class party. Uh, that, like, that used to be a thing, though. Like, that definitely mm, used to be a thing. That's true. I've, I feel like I've watched so much and read so much media from, like, the 70s and 80s that include that. That I feel like that is like just a, a like retired element of like college culture like it's, that we'll just never understand. Yeah, and 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 that I don't necessarily want to understand. Like I remember <laughs> there there was points in college where I was at where where there was like a a group a get together kind of thing at a professor's house, but it would be like a lot more organized. It would it wouldn't be people standing around with solo cups with loud music playing and people like dancing and mingling. It was nothing like that. It was more like there was only a couple of times that I had one and it was very much like for conversations and there was like a specific reason, like in a thing that you're going to be talking about as a group. It was almost like a group exercise that just happened to have like some food and happened to take place at their house. But like this feels like 
<laughs> this feels like a place where professors would fuck students by the end of the night, like inevitably. Well, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think so. And I think that's why it has largely been retired. <laughs> I think we have sort of rightfully acknowledged that professors and students are not peers. Uh, I think it comes from the spirit of like, this is academia and we are adults in the environment of academia. Makes sense. Um, but I don't think that was ever actually what it was, you know? Yeah, I think it's, it was in part, but I think it also was partly not. <laughs> it's it's doubled down. I think that it's, well, I should say it doesn't help that Professor Wells is, has just a creepy demeanor with everything that he says and the way that he interacts with everyone. That makes it all feel a lot worse. <laughs> Yeah, Professor Wells, I don't know about you. He's very antagonistic towards his students and <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, in attendance are Peter Flash and Mona Osborne from way back what in the up, first Mona? episode. It's been a while. Yeah. So Wells comments that the music they're listening to is the music of the war years, which kind of sparks this brief conversation, introducing the concept of World War II to the viewers. Um, and mm-hmm. there's, uh, you know, Peter, Peter's like, World War II was in all the papers. Uh, but I think it's a joke. Such a weird thing to say, I but I get why they included it. <laughs> the joke is that Flash doesn't really get yeah. it or know what's happening. And so Peter's like, oh, it was all the papers, like jokingly. It's just a, it is just a very weird thing to say. Yeah. But uh, Flash is like, I don't care about history. I'm here to party. And he asks Mona to dance. Peter gets upset because Mona was his date. So there you go. The complicated dating lives of the spider friends continues. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) They're just, they're not, he's not committing to anyone. He will date a different woman each night. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really, I don't know. I, I really do get the sense that we probably just generationally have a different understanding of the terminology around dating, yeah. I think, based on how this show portrays it in a really casual, nonchalant way. Sure. Like, this jumps ahead, a, a, like, a second, but, like, it, it sounds like Flash, or not Flash, it sounds like Bobby also is either interested in or has dated or jokes about dating or actually dates Mona. Yeah. We know that Peter dates Angelica, but also Angelica dates other guys. And I think the way that we say dates is far more committal than I think the way that they say it. It's they're they're doing more like what gay men today refer to as dates rather than traditional uh traditional culture describes as dating. Or or honestly I think anybody who just is generally dating. Yeah, like just anybody who dates. is just in the oh, yeah. dating pool. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. Um but yes, Peter and Bobby are dating in the gay sense to, you know, with one another. So yes, yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Well, back at the home being burgled, uh, the two Nazi burglars attack the bed and discover that there's not a person in there at all. It's the old pillow trick. And they have been ambushed at the hands of Hiawatha Smith, a Native American professor at Empire State University. Also love that this uh, Native American character that they introduce is a professor at the university. Again, probably just because he's a ripoff of Indiana Jones. Yeah. But cool. again, accidental cool thing yep. that, they, that they do. Um, so love that. When the burglars release a poison gas into the room, Professor Smith rushes to open a window, but when he pulls the curtain aside, he's greeted by Red Skull, which is maybe the most terrifying thing ever, and Red Skull melts a hole in the window because he couldn't just open it, I guess, (laughs) Um, and proceeds to knock Professor Smith out with even more poison gas. So with Professor Smith knocked out, Red Skull instructs the two burglars to keep searching the house for whatever it is they were looking for while he takes Professor Smith to headquarters for questioning. 
Yes. Really intense scene and really intense introduction of Professor Smith and Red Skull. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stakes in this episode that's like more real than the typical Amazing Friends episode is, I feel like. Yeah. It, it does feel, this does feel like a legitimately darker episode, not just because of the Nazi stuff, but just because it does feel a lot more like, I don't know, like this, uh, like, like a caper kind of story or like, you know, this guy having his house broken into to be kidnapped. Like, you know, it's, it's just, uh, I don't know. It's less, it's like significantly less wacky than this show has ever been. But instead of it replacing it with boringness, it replaces it with like intensity and tension. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So back at Professor Wells' house, the party lets out and Mona's like, you're a wonderful host to the guy who is like laughing evilly about Peter not passing his finals. <laughs> Guy's so creepy. After that, Mona chastises Peter for letting Flash Thompson yank her away like that. And Peter, like, objects. Uh, and she's like, in case you haven't noticed, I'm not like most other girls. I'm not like other girls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't know. I don't, Mona's is such a nothing character. <laughs> like they, The writers have no respect for Mona no, whatsoever. No. The fact that they, the fact that they allow her to say, you let Flash yank me away. Like, tells you everything that they think about Mona. Yep. She probably is cool, but they just don't, they don't give a fuck about Mona. Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> and Peter, Peter also is just like, that doesn't make, none of that, what you said makes sense. And then Spider-Sense alerts him to trouble at Professor Smith's house. And Flash Thompson arrives at the same time. So he's like, all right, fine. I'm sorry, Mona, but hey, Flash, why don't you walk, walk her home? I know you're going to hate me for this, but you guys just gotta, I gotta go. Um, so, uh, he goes and suits up and investigates Professor Smith's home. Yeah. So he arrives as Spider-Man and overhears the two burglars talking about Red Skull and something called the Scorpion engraving. I love this scene because it's clear that Spider-Man was just kind of like spying on them for at least a moment. Yeah. (laughs) He's just like on the ceiling listening to them. And when they mentioned Red Skull, he's like, oh yeah, okay. This was a big deal. I'm glad that I stopped by. Um, and decides like, okay, now I'll, now I'll, I'll step in here now that I've got some information. He drop kicks one of the burglars, which knocks one of the, the wood panels off the wall, revealing like basically a secret storage compartment and the scorpion engraving. So how lucky for the burglars to get drop kicked. So they now have the scorpion engraving. They're like, this is great. They use more poison gas this time on Spider-Man and they escape with the engraving. So roll, roll. Great job, Spider-Man. I have to do. At the Red Skull's headquarters, he celebrates having acquired the Scorpion engraving, thanks to Spider-Man, um, <laughs> because, because he says it'll lead him to a massive trove of stolen gold, jewels, money, art, and experimental super weapons hidden by the Nazi army after the end of World War II. Yikes. Ah, uh, yes. Yikes. Also worth noting... There's a bit of editorializing happening here on our part. Uh, they call it, what do they call it? Uh, they don't say it's stolen. <laughs> they call it something else, oh. but it's stolen. It's stolen treasure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Nazis took over countries and took their shit. <laughs> sure. Good call. I, I, that didn't register with me. But yep. So they're like another one of those little details about the episode they could have like tweaked to be a little bit better, but. Yeah, yeah. It's a subtle thing, Yeah. <laughs> Red Skull wouldn't call them stolen, though. He would be like, "No, he wouldn't." He Nazis, wouldn't. my my best friends, totally own this stuff. <laughs> that's true. That's that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, his whole intention with getting the stuff is uh, to start a third world war and claim rulership over the planet, like Red Skull be doing. He talks with his teeth closed, 
like the whole time. His eyes are always rolling all around. He's just his the, eyes roll so much. He is the weirdest looking. Like he is a red skull, obviously, but he is like the most bizarrely like animated dude, face face wise, I have ever seen okay. on this show. <laughs> I will admit that I know very little about Captain America. I know very little about Red Skull. Most of what I know about Captain America, honestly, is from the MCU. <laughs> And I know even less about Red Skull. Are there iterations of Red Skull where it's a mask or is it always his head? Oh, shit. You know what? Actually, I'm not sure. Because I feel like there are mask versions of him. He might have originally been. I'm not sure. Because it's like the only explanation I could think of for his face being as weird as it is. But I don't even think this show is treating it like it's a mask. Well, I think by by the 80s, he was, def- was, that was definitely that was definitely his head. Yeah, that was absolutely <laughs> his head. So, yeah, no, they're just they're just weird about how they animate him. That's <laughs> yeah. all it is. Yeah, yeah. His eyes, though, I didn't even notice the teeth because I was so disturbed by his eyes. <laughs> well, it's it's off the goddamn chain. I don't, yep. and it's so weird because like he's such a serious supervillain in this show. Like he's yeah. not. I mean, he's over the top in the way that every villain on this show is, but like he's not as over the top as other ones often are, and as he could be. Like he's played a lot more serious, uh, you know, as they probably should be as a Nazi. But then they they draw him in this these so all these strange ways that like undermine any of the work that they do to make him scary. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, very yeah. strange. <laughs> well, as he is doing this sort of like monologuing and explaining his plans about the stolen treasure and starting World War Three and all that sort of stuff. Hiawatha Smith is just like in the room. Like this is very typical and irresponsible villaining because he just like laid out this whole plan with Professor Smith in the room, but he doesn't think anything of it because Professor Smith is tied up and suspended over a python habitat. So he's like, it's fine. Little does he know (laughs) because this is a cartoon in the eighties and this is a native American character. Professor Hiawatha Smith speaks snake. (laughs) Of course he does. So, <laughs> and speaks what's probably gibberish. There oh, is, I would, is. there is almost no chance that anything he said was any language. How could they know what language floored. it was? They don't even know what tribe he's from. Like, <laughs> they're like, yeah, he'll speak yep. the Native American language. Like, that's as far well, as they went. <laughs> I mean, they've already, I mean, yeah, no, I know. But they've already, like, picked and chosen pieces of things, like, like, like the fact that he has that tapestry with a swastika doesn't even match like his name and what it referenced. Like, it's already a collage. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't have been surprised if like the only way that I would I would be like, oh wow, that actually is something genuinely indigenous, is if they like went to a library and like looked something up randomly. They ain't got time but, for that. They ain't got time exactly, for that. exactly right. That's why I'm like, there's almost no chance it's not just gibberish. But anyway, he talks to a snake uh, that helps him escape. <laughs> of course he does. That's like the opposite of Indiana Jones because Indiana Jones is afraid of snakes and Hiawatha yeah. Smith is a friend of snakes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. They're not the same. <laughs> uh, you know what's funny is like Indiana Jones and Hiawatha Smith, like even their names are parallel. Like Jones oh, and yeah. Smith. Like they're just like the most like oh, nondescript last names. <laughs> and like very and like very striking they even first have names. like vowel similarity yeah very striking first names with vowel similarities <laughs> god 
Wow. Same number of syllables, Hiawatha, Indiana. Damn. To be fair. He wasn't even being subtle, and I didn't even notice. In that interview, Mark's cop to it being very obvious. Like, I think that they they knew that. They knew. No, no, no. I know. I'm saying it's, like, hilarious that I didn't pick up on it because it is that obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Quite funny. (laughs) I was thrown by the fact that he's a friend of snakes, you know? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, back at the spider friend's apartment, Angelica is like, why is Peter so late coming back from this party? And Bobby's like, well, he went with Mona Osborne. I guess they just are, you know, hanging out at her place, probably. No, he doesn't even allude to that at all. Um, no. but I'm actually really, like, confused by their reaction to it's the all realization really, that they're I don't Mona. understand much of the scene at all. Like, it's... Because Bobby, like, Bobby's the one who brings up that he went with Mona Osborne, and Angelica has to remind him, like don't you date Mona? And he's like, yeah, I do. Let's go check it out. Like, <laughs> like I think what it, I, the implication that I was getting from it was that Angelica is legitimately worried about Peter being gone. And she kind of convinces Bobby to go with her to check it out, but not because he's worried about Peter just because he's worried about <laughs> Peter and Mona hooking up. So, okay. Okay. So Angelica is like taking advantage of his fra- fragile masculinity to like yeah get him to investigate with her. That's that's how I read it because otherwise it does their reactions make no sense. Like the conversation yeah. is nonsense. But okay. I think if you read it like that, that's I how like it makes that. sense. Their their performances yeah. don't match match up. Like, they they definitely this. don't. And I I wonder if it was just confusing enough that like they weren't even sure what <laughs> the interaction was supposed to be. You know? Yeah. When they acted it, so yeah, that helps though. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Did you notice how Bobby is sitting in this scene? Fucking weirdly as hell. Yeah. Yeah. Like his <laughs> legs. I took a screenshot of it too. Like his legs are so spread out, and he's so far hunched over, like to read his book. Like I, his he's had to have broken his back by sitting. Like it's this. baffling. It's baffling. fully baffling. Actually, no. You know what? I'm gonna share the screenshot with you right now because literally his feet aren't even touching the floor, which makes no sense. <laughs> it's so weird. Like there's nothing comfortable about what he's doing no, at all. It looks horrible. Like you're on a couch. Just lay down or lean back. But he's got. You know what? If he's anything like me, he's worried about falling asleep while he's reading that book. So he's like, I need to be in the most uncomfortable (laughs) position that I couldn't possibly fall asleep in to read this book. Maybe that's what's going on. I guess. I guess so. I guess so. (laughs) Oh, look at that cameo! That Hulk's feet cameo. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, they have the uh, they have the Incredible Hulk poster in their uh, bedroom. Yeah. So that makes sense. As you should. Yeah. Well, yeah, so like we said, they, they decide to take Miss Lyon for a walk um, past Wells' house to, like, subtly investigate. Um, and they arrive, and Spider-Man wakes up and stumbles outside. So they're like, okay, <laughs> I, obviously some shit happened here. Yeah, what the hell happened to you? <laughs> <laughs> well, the three of them hear something strange happening in the backyard and decide to suit up and investigate. And then, in a moment that is far too real, <laughs> they mistake Professor Smith I think for a home invader as he's returning through the hole in his window, because otherwise I can't think of any reason why they would like try to stop him. (laughs) And they definitely unabashedly like fight each other in the backyard for, you know, a little bit before Spider-Man's like, wait a second, you're professor Smith. You live here. (laughs) Yep. Cool. Way to be cops. Amazing friends. (laughs) I know. God damn (laughs) y'all. Well, professor Smith, 
uh, is like, okay, even though you just tried to kill me just now for going home, uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to uh, give you the benefit of the doubt and forgive you for that so you can help me out with this uh, with this bullshit I'm dealing with right now. So and he, says something really grand. Isn't this where he's like, I need you. The world may need you or something like that. Oh, yeah. I kind of very much underplayed that. <laughs> well, I forgot about it until just now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he is trying to get them to help him stop the Nazis. So, like, it's a, it's, it's a big deal. Yeah. It's a big deal. There, honestly, though, there are, like, little things throughout this episode that I think are meant to be sort of, like, thinly veiled calls to action. Sure. About, like, the world needs you to stop this. Or, like, at the very end of the episode, they basically say, like, we have no idea how the Red Skull keeps coming back, but he does. That's it's like, a good point. Yeah, unfortunately, so does Nazism. <laughs> that is a really good point. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, yeah. I mean, it ends up being kind of relevant, uh, mm-hmm. very relevant. So. Oh, man. They wouldn't have even known how, how relevant. Nope. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. For, for them, Nazis were a thing of the past that we just have to prevent from ever coming back mm-hmm. again. Yep. Well, he does. This is, this is, and this is what gets into, I think, what, made the majority of our conversation at the top of this episode. Oh yeah. Because this is the scene where professor Smith gives the spider friends a crash course on world war two fascism and Hitler's plans for world domination. Um, so we, we get a whole scene where he's basically showing them like a film reel of uh, clips from world war two that have been cut together. Um, they show Hitler's face like very explicitly draw them as realistically as possible. They show like scenes from, from the war and everything like that. Um, they, they, mm-hmm. they try to keep to the realism as much as they can for this sequence. I mean, the group agree that despite all of the supervillains that they have ever faced, uh, they agree that Hitler is one of the worst villains of all. They're not being subtle or coding anything. Like, they just explicitly say, like, this guy fucking sucks. Like, he is a real-life villain. They call him the most evil man who ever lived. Like, it's not subtle. It's very... There's no... Yeah. There's no gray to it at all, you know? And that's why I think, like, that's where I end up conflicted, because I'm like, I feel like that is unabashedly, like, a good thing to do. And, and, And I feel like... If you're not willing to put that into the media that you are going to include Nazis in, then it's going to start to feel exploitative, you yeah. know, like, and I feel like because they say he is the most evil man to ever live, that he is worse than the supervillains that they have fought. To me, I think that's what makes this episode feel like it is not just simply exploiting Nazis as cartoon villains. Yeah. I mean, I was honestly taken aback that they just refer explicitly to Hitler's master race. Like, I don't, yeah. I think that they... I would have expected them to leave that part out of it and just be like, he wanted to take over the world and there was a war and stop there. Like mentioning master race has a lot of implications and you know, to a kid who's never heard of this before, like the words might not mean anything, but they know they will have heard of race before they would Mm -hmm. want to know what, what does master race mean? Like it has, there's a lot of weight to that phrase. And I could see a kid asking about that, you know, like what does, what does fascism mean? You know, like it's go, it's the kind of thing that makes people ask questions and, you know, it's a thing that's uncomfortable to have on television for parents because it means kids are going to ask them questions possibly before they're ready to answer them. But I I think there's a good argument that it's important to get kids asking those questions, you know? Yeah. No, I agree. It makes me wonder, like, with with the streaming environment, like, Disney Plus, I think, personally, and I, you know, I... I don't know enough, so I I can tell you what I think about it, but I could think something differently two weeks from now if somebody presented me with new information. I don't know, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think Disney Plus makes the wrong decision by not allowing this to be on their platform. 
um, because I generally subscribe to the idea that like hiding something like this or like hiding old cartoons or like locking them away allows for or, or, or rather like like prevents growth or conversations or learning as opposed to like promoting like necessary, sometimes painful education. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it makes me wonder, like in addition to putting this on Disney plus with like the, the sort of like heads up screen that they have now finally put, started putting on things, right. Disney plus for a while wouldn't even do that. I don't, I don't think Yeah, Disney plus also has, they, they have like supplemental videos or extras like built into their platform. Mm-hmm. So like if, for example, if you watch the movie Wally, which by the way, you can listen to us talk about over uh, on Falling with Style, you can watch the extras for that movie like right there in the same exact screen pretty much. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder if like for a heads up screen, they could say like, hey, this this episode includes topics that children may have questions about. If you're not sure that you're ready to answer them, check out these extra materials that we have and just include like videos that help parents answer those questions. Yeah. Like, Warner Brothers has like, that why not do- for a lot of their cartoons. Like they have videos. I think like Whoopi Goldberg did some of them like where the, where it is explaining like the context for some of them, you know, and it's. And- yeah. I The Whoopi one stands out to me because that one like isn't just words on a screen. It's like her doing yeah the the explanation thing i just wonder if it wouldn't just be like a smart idea to just have those as resources because i feel like a lot of times like like that you could just choose to tap into right as like short videos because like i feel like a lot of times that comes up as the like oh well like what if kids ask questions it's like well good they should be asking questions and it's like your responsibility as the guardian or the adult in the room to like answer them and be informed enough to answer them but i also recognize that like a lot of people aren't preparing themselves on the daily to answer a kid's questions about master race. Yeah. So like if you know that something like this is going to warrant the heads up screen, it could be cool. And this is I, maybe just like my programming brain thinking like I, th- I feel like it would be cool to just be like, here are some of the questions your kids might ask about this episode. Yeah. Here's what we think are good answers. Like, yeah, I don't know. I think that could be cool. I see people do that on like Twitter sometimes where they're like, hey, you're worried about your kid asking about what gay people are. Mm-hmm. Okay, we get it. Here's a good answer that I think kids will understand. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's like it's you know, you can't you can't always control what your kids going to run into in the world in general, and that also especially counts, now. and that also counts media. You know, so like, I, it's pro- it's better to just expect that they're going to come across this stuff inevitably and just prepare for that and find ways to like soften the blow if it is something that maybe is a little intense rather than trying to like pretend it doesn't exist because it does and they are going to eventually come upon it possibly in a worse way than just in an episode of like Spider-Man and his amazing friends, you know? So it's, yeah. 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 It's, I mean, it is, it is complicated because some of that I think maybe even contradicts some of the stuff that I was saying at the top of this episode. It, it all depends on the, on the situation and it depends on what it is. I think the more we dive into this episode, the more I feel like it actually is, actually has a lot of value in, in its existence, like in a number of ways educationally you know both for the things it does right and wrong yeah yeah i i i don't think that the like yeah i i i don't think i can have concrete like totally static feelings on this episode you know and i think that's probably a good thing yeah yeah it shouldn't i mean if you're gonna do a fake episode with fucking nazis it shouldn't be it should i mean it shouldn't be like <laughs> it that. should be complicated and messy <laughs> yeah because it's gonna be you know it shouldn't yeah, it, yeah. but anyway 
as much as I like the uh, the educational scene about World War II and everything, I think it's also think it's very adorable that the Spider Friends are like just sitting on the floor, kind of like children watching this movie. Um, except it for is Spider- really cute. Yeah, <laughs> except, you know, except for Spider Man, of course, watching it upside down from the ceiling like a weirdo. Well, yeah, <laughs> but that's his sitting on the floor, I guess. I guess so. He's just used <laughs> to seeing things upside down that it doesn't even that's make any true. difference for him. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, they reinforce that Nazis suck. Like, fuck yeah, yeah punch Nazis. Like, punch that's, Nazis. That's the moral of this episode, man. I dig it. Captain America punched Nazis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't forget. Oh, yeah. Hello, amazing friends. We just wanted to take a quick moment to shout out our spectacular enough patrons, Bo, Katie, Mike, Eric, Carl, and Lillian. If you would like to join our Patreon, we have a ton of great bonus content waiting for you. We have our Spider Bites, where we talk about pretty much whatever we want in the Spider-Man universe, such as comics, like the current Miles Morales series, and classics like Kraven's Last Hunt. Sometimes we do deep dives into Spider-Man stuff, like our miniseries on the unmade Spider-Man movies. Or we spin off into other topics, like the Blade movies or the Firestar comics. Sometimes we'll do some bonus content just because we happen to have it, like Peaks Behind the Curtain or how we make certain episodes. And if you join us at the $5 Spectacular level, you also get access to our After Dark commentaries, where we let loose and talk about shows that aren't Spider-Man related without a filter. Shows like Gargoyles, Batman Beyond, Muppet Babies, and more. Ultimately, these are the types of things that we're going to talk about anyway, so recording it and making it available on Patreon is our way of saying thank you so much for supporting this show and letting us do the types of things we really want to do. Whatever tier you opt into, thank you so much. Whether you're an avid listener or just stopping by, we appreciate that too. From your friendly neighborhood podcasters, thank you. Well, this is something I thought was pretty cool as well. Professor Smith explains that his father was a World War II veteran. I think that's cool. Yeah. I think it is I think that it's really advantageous for this episode to exist when it does because they're only a generation removed. Like I think it's cool that Professor Wells because of when this episode was made can basically say like this is the music that I listened to growing up because I grew up when World War II was happening, you know? Mhm. That would be a lot harder to do in a Spider-Man cartoon now made in 2021, sure. you know? Um, and I think being able to to maintain that human connection to this material is really important. So I think it's it's cool that they pretty much all the characters that they introduce as allies are characters that can sort of trace themselves or somebody very close to them back to the conflict. I think also like explicitly saying that this is a World War II veteran who is a person of color. I think like that isn't just a typical, you know white yeah. guy is also important you know because your standard yeah. military guy like it usually just looks like how steve rogers looks you know so right. which is like not the case yeah <laughs> like, right everybody fought in world war ii <laughs> exactly so I, I mean i like that detail too yeah. Um, yeah yeah the fact that his his father was a world war ii he even says like oh, a world war ii hero mm-hmm. and a native american chief uh it's a cool cool combo you know, less, <laughs> less less cool, less thought out. I mean, not less cool, but certainly less thought out. And as a result, less cool is that he then just immediately rolls into how he got his powers, which is from his dad, who was a Native American chief, who gave him just, you know, mystical Native American powers. 
oh, to fight spe- evil with. Specifically says imbued him or bestowed him all the Indian lore from all of time. Like just yeah. all of it from every tribe it. that it ever it's existed. all one thing, right? It's all one thing. Yep. Yeah. Yikes. Bad bad job. What really <laughs> bad is, job, writers. What's really bad job. stupid about it too is that like <laughs> He doesn't really use his mystical powers very much. He could have just been an Indiana Jones ripoff full stop and just been like a dude who was really good at like acrobats and action. Like they didn't even need to introduce the mystical angle at all. Like he didn't need to be a super powered character at all, you know? Yeah, he totally didn't need to be like, yeah, he didn't need to be the only because there probably are ways that they could have even worked around like the snake thing. You know what I mean? Like, that yeah. didn't have to be the way he got out of that situation. There mm-hmm. are plenty of ways he could have. So, yeah, they could have removed that entirely, and I th- I still think it would have been cool. They could have gone, like, more of a, like, Batman-Iron Man route where they're, like, technically a regular guy, but, like, their knowledge and, like, their particular, <laughs> in the case of Iron Man and Batman, obsession yeah. um, is sort of what drives them and their, their sort of moral compass. And then they're just sort of a hero in the universe that... <laughs> You know, doesn't have to have powers. <laughs> I just want it to be more of an Indiana Jones ripoff, I guess, is what I'm getting, <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm leading to, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it couldn't it couldn't hurt <laughs> in certain circumstances. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, so he has the the superpower of all all lore. Jesus Christ, which is real bad. <laughs> But, you know, in addition to fighting evil, I guess he has been charged with protecting the scorpion engraving. And he reveals that the real engraving was hidden behind the tapestry the whole time Cool. <laughs> and shares with the spider friends uh, its purpose as a map. There is something poetic. Uh, it's I mean, it's it's a little weird because of the actual subject material. But there is something poetic about the fact that the map to the place that they are trying to go is behind a tapestry with a swastika on it, given where the map actually takes them and how they identify mm. the location once they get there. Sure. Like there is something sort of poetic um, mm. in the way that they chose to write that, but it feels weird to call it poetic because it all has to do with swastikas. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but like, I think that they use this, the symbol effectively because I think they imbue it with the amount of like meaning that actually exists in the world. Like it's a meaningful symbol, you know, like, and so it's yeah. like, it's, it's an intrinsic part of of nazism for one and so it's also an intrinsic part of the episode where it's like yeah it just pops up a lot because it's inescapable yeah oh yeah no that's a good point it's not just like it's not what i expected which like i said was just like so i I expected salutes and a bunch of swastikas for the sole purpose of like aesthetics for the episode right and for like cartoon villains and it never really feels like that well it doesn't feel like that too much I still think that, like, the words and the actions they probably could have done without. Sure, sure. I'd agree with that. Well, in his very phallic-shaped aircraft... uh... (laughs) I think it's a cool look. I mean, it is phallic. I'm not arguing with you on that. But I do think it looks really cool. It's cool. I mean, it looks like a penis, but it looks cool. Yeah, it's like Uh, a Star Wars penis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's absolutely what it's ripped off of, actually. You're right, you're right, you're right. (laughs) But yeah, so Red Skull is explaining to his goons that the location of the stolen treasure is in an unexplored jungle in South America. Not Africa. (laughs) Not Africa. At the same time, Spider-Man realizes the same thing, and the Spider-Friends set off with Professor Smith to stop Red Skull. The group arrives in South America to search the jungle, but to no immediate avail. (laughs) This whole sequence is 
hilarious because there's what I actually like. I kind of think the writing on this is really clever because it's like Spider-Man is just in, he's in the jungle. So as he web swings, he's doing like the uh, thing. Yeah. But what's so funny is that like everybody else is like annoyed about him. It's just like, <laughs> can he please? Can he just stop? This is yeah. so annoying. And like and, and Firestar is like, if he says me, Spider-Man, you hot stuff one more time, I'm going to melt his web. Uh, which is like I figured, like okay, that's gonna be the joke. But then he actually starts to do it again for uh-huh. real, and she owns up to what she said, and she <laughs> melts his web and makes him fall. And 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 after he falls, she just says, "You're boring." <laughs> I seriously, one, I need to screen grab that moment with the subtitle that says, "You're boring." It's so such a mood. I it need is it. Such a mood. And two, I also thought it was just gonna be like. It was just going to be the joke. I thought it was purely going to be a joke for us, the audience, that she said that. Like, oh, that's funny. But yeah, the fact that she delivers on it, so I good. was beside myself. I love it. <laughs> so good. Yeah, really is. <laughs> well, meanwhile, Red Skull is spying on the group using a robot TV bird. Sure. I don't know why they call it that, but that's what they call it. It's yep. a robot TV bird. Uh, which is just a bird with a camera. <laughs> it's a it's just a bird uh, that's broadcasting to a screen in his underground drill tank because <laughs> he's traveling underground, baby. And he's underground because he's basically like, they're going to know where to look for me in the sky. They're going to think that I'm traveling through the jungle, but what they'll never suspect is that I'm traveling underground. Goes full underminer, <laughs> just goes right underneath them (laughs) legitimately clever actually i think that's very smart of him to do i think it's such a fun image too because they do the sort of like (laughs) the like above ground below ground view like there's a frame where you can see above the ground and below and he's just like chugging along in his little drill underground (laughs) yep (laughs) as like as you know as 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 kind of intense like the subject matter of this episode is like it's there's some there's a lot of fun stuff in it still yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, I think they do generally strike the balance uh, yeah. pretty well, considering. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, above ground, the bird gets too close to Spider-Man, and his spider sense goes off, alerting him to the fact that there's something wrong with this bird. That's obviously um, a robot. <laughs> that's very obviously a robot. <laughs> and Professor Smith recognizes the bird for what it is. You know, a robot TV bird. Because he's seen that too, I guess. He says that uh, after the bird explodes, like it, there's nothing left of that bird and he's still able to, <laughs> to figure out that it's a TV robot bird. But like, why are these two people who are not connected both calling this thing a robot TV bird? That's not a thing. I don't know. <laughs> a robot TV bird? Okay. Uh, I mean, drones weren't a thing, so I get that they needed to call it something, but robot TV bird, whatever. I'm hung up on it. I'm going to get that tattooed on me somewhere. Um, Just the words, not the bird. (laughs) So anyway, okay. Realizing the Red Skull must know that they're there because of the robot TV bird, the group wonders where he is then. Like, why can he find us and we can't find him? Uh, But they can't think about it too long because they get bombarded by hundreds of vampire bats. Where did this come from? fully threw me off guard. It ends up making sense, but in the moment, I was like, did I miss something? Like, I rewound because I was like, 
I had to have missed where he where Red Skull set a bunch of bats on them. Yeah, because like it was the moment in the moment before it is weird too because like Spider Man his like spider sense goes off or he hears something or something like that. But he like crawls up a tree at super speed. Like they legit like increase the frame rate or something to the point <laughs> that it, it looks bizarre as he speeds up this tree, looks, and then just says the words, "Oh no, vampire bats!" And then it cuts to commercial, and it's like. Wh- you just threw a little too much at me at once. I don't, I don't, I can't process this. But I like it once I know what it, like why. Sure, yeah. Like I, I do think it's clever once I know why. The specificity of vampire bats, not just bats, I think is what <laughs> sends it over the over the edge for me. Yeah, and it is alarmingly abrupt. Like it, like they have just solved one problem, which is robot TV bird, and have come to the realization that Red Skull knows they're there. And then they are just literally hit in the face, blindsided by vampire, vampire bats. bats. A lot of them, the whole army of them. It's, it's like hundreds lot. of them. It's so many. I would cry. It's I scary. Would cry. It's legit. Like I like bats. I think they're adorable. That's, Me too. Oh, that's too much. That's nope. An army of it could anything. Be bats. It could be birds. Those could be butterflies. And if it were that many all coming at me, I would be horrified. Yeah, it's too much. It's just too much. <laughs> well, to save themselves and presumably the bats, uh, the group creates a new cave for the bats to gather in. So Professor Smith notes that the bats must be displaced from underground caves. So that's our explanation. And actually, it is smart because that helps them realize that Red Skull is traveling underground. See, that's what I like about it. I think that's that's neat. I think that's clever. Mm-hmm. So as they're coming to this realization that he has to be underground, Red Skull's drill emerges from underground. Uh, not by them, though, by the entrance to the Nazi stolen treasure trove, um, which is revealed by a huge swastika shadow cast by the setting sun against a stone sculpture. So sort of the like classic, like the sun's got to be in the right place sort of situation. Before he makes his way in, though, Red Skull tells his goons that they need to stay behind so they can set a trap for the spider friends and Professor Smith now that he knows that they are there. Of course. Um, which makes sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, shortly after the heroes get closer to the entrance of the trove, and Professor Smith confirms that the area has been recently disturbed. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Weird moment. Weird moment. We're really not highlighting how weird they are choosing to portray Hiawatha Smith, considering that they're obviously doing it because he's Native American. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 weird because it's like I don't know. Like I always don't want to talk about it because it's like, of course, like oh, he can. He's in tune with the earth, and therefore he can sense a disturbance in 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 the land around him or in whatever. Worms. You know? Oh yeah, no, that's right. It was the worms. I forgot about yeah. that. That's what was so weird about it. I mean, it. basically, what they've done is they've done this basic, and we don't have to talk about it too long. But like, they've done this basic ass thing where they've decided, like, oh, this is a Native American person. His powers are being Native American, basically. Um, and so we're going to boil that down to he can talk to animals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh-huh. okay. Yeah. In- which includes war- sensing when worms are disturbed under the ground. Yeah. So that's how he figures yeah. out that uh, the soil has been disturbed and stuff. So. Yeah. Cool. It would be one thing if that were like actually part of his character outside of just like we want him to be like a super powered kind of super powered, you know, indigenous person. But that's, you know. Well, if that was, it's like, not. called out explicitly as his powers set to, but it's just tied into him just being a vaguely mystical, right. mystical indigenous person. Like, okay. Right. Right. It's yeah. it, They're not doing anything – as much as they're doing educationally with, like, the the World War II stuff and the Nazism stuff, they're not doing anything educational with him or Native American culture, any of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it just ends up coming across as hokey. Uh-huh. 
Well, before they can process any of this information, the goons activate the trap and this massive explosion that Spider-Man Spider-Sense does not alert them to, by the way, uh, collapses hmm. the ground below them and drops them into the tunnels dug by the drill. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Uh-huh, yep. Uh, as, and as the dust settles, the group is confronted by the drill itself. It's a very sharp-looking drill. I like this little bit where Firestar and Iceman both shoot their beams at the drill at the same time. but Don't cross the streams! Yeah, they cancel each other out. Obviously, so it just ends up doing nothing to the drill. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Spidey manages to stop it, but, like, not before the drill is, like, just short of Hiawatha's face. And it's very scary. (laughs) (laughs) It's also funny because the way that they animate this show, it really just sort of, like, freezes. Like, everything in that moment with Hiawatha and the drill just freezes to the point where you could think that your video froze. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. It's so like ends up being unintentionally funny, I think. Yeah. Well, realize this is so great to me. This cracks me up. Realizing that the tunnels dug out by the Red Skull should lead them directly to where he was going, the group is like, Well, yeah, I guess we'll just follow these tunnels then, eh? (laughs) We don't really need to search for him anymore, I guess. Which is brilliant. Yeah. (laughs) He really kind of fucked up by leaving that trap for them, huh? Yeah. <laughs> he should have just left That's them to wonder. A really but... good point. <laughs> <laughs> Villain shit backfiring. Anyway, <laughs> so they're like, yeah, we could just follow these tunnels and we'll obviously find out where he went. So Firestar is like, cool, I'll I'll fly ahead and investigate, make sure that like we're on the right track. She does that. They are on the right track and she finds the stone sculpture. She immediately figures out that the sun must cast a shadow and that is how that is how you identify where you need to go whatever she's she's seen these types she's seen an indiana jones movie it just came out she's like i know i know how to work my brain around this kind of weird stuff yeah if it weren't firestar i would i would think more about it but i'm willing to just say that she's the smartest and best and most skilled member of this team of course uh sure um she then and because this is cool, actually. This she is really then cool. uses, yeah. She's like, well, the sun's not out, so I guess I gotta make a sun, basically. <laughs> so she mimics the sun's rays onto the sculpture and reveals the big shadow that, that uh, Red Skull found as well. So she's like, aha, that's where he went. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. So I did like that detail, as silly as it is that she's just like, I know what to do. Yeah, and she makes it a point to mark it, too. So she's, she's a smart yeah. cookie. I do like that, too, yeah. Well, she goes inside and finds a pyramid temple, uh, but it's quick, quickly knocked out with poison gas. One of like the 11th thousand times that her character is knocked out with poison gas in, this, in, the uh-huh. single, in the single episode, to say nothing of the entire show. Yep. Red Skull orders his goons to put Firestar in a freezing support capsule. Okay. I noted very specifically <laughs> what the words freezing support capsule because... Is this supposed to be like a cryogenic chamber? Oh, you know, I could is that see what that, that is? That would fit in with like you know Red Skull mythos and stuff. Like I think that would that actually, I would buy that. I like that take. And yeah. we've seen that she is affected by cold, but not the same way that people who aren't heat superpowered people are. Yeah. So like putting her in a cryo chamber wouldn't freeze her. It would just like impede her greatly yeah yeah so i don't okay. know i like that well um, that's i'll headcanon that happy for that happy to head <laughs> well she's in that now uh it takes her to the entrance of a uh of the treasure room so that his adversaries may witness his triumph 
you know, basic megalomaniac shit, basically. So <laughs> we've all seen it before. But before we before they enter, one of Red Skull's goons sets off a booby trap that nearly crushes him. Yeah, that happens. <laughs> anyway. Don't know why, but it happens. Um, so back at the stone sculpture, Spider-Man, Iceman, and Hiawatha Smith arrive. Um, they do discover a very conspicuous clue. I love it. It's so funny. <laughs> Left by Firestar. What does it say? Just like it just says right he- here? It says here, guys, with an arrow pointed <laughs> to the bottom. I think the addition of guys is what makes it so funny. Here, it's so guys. Ca- it's so casual. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, made a huge, huge sign on the on the wall of the the cliff where the entrance to the cave is. Here, guys. <laughs> um, and so they make their way into the treasure trove as well, and quickly discover, very quickly discover the entrance to the treasure room that we just saw Red Skull at as well. And Spider Man sets off the same booby trap for some reason. I, I don't understand why this booby trap is here. Um, stakes. And, Just more uh, stakes. That's all it is. I guess. And uses his web to avoid getting crushed. So no one gets crushed in the booby trap, which is good. <laughs> but that booby trap really causing problems. Um, inside, the group discover a note, this time left by Red Skull, which says, Firestar and the world are mine. Okay. <laughs> all right, bud. Cool. <laughs> well, <laughs> the three make their way out of the trobe to discover Red Skull escaping in a semi-truck that turns into a submarine by the way, when it drives into the water. Kind of dope. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. But before it can submerge, Spider-Man tosses a spider tracer on the submarine, and the three agree that it must be headed to Skull Island. Which is a place all of them are familiar with. Yeah, I mean, where else are you going to hang? They've, they've seen they they they've seen the 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 legendary monster verse. They know that that mm, very mm, recently mm. there was a whole movie that took place there with with movie King that Kong heavily featured Red Skull. Yes, yeah, yes. yeah. I mean, yeah, Red Skull is the villain in, in Kong Skull Island, <laughs> and that's that. He's he's who's behind Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, if you haven't mm. seen that, sorry for the spoiler, but it is it is Red Damn. Skull that that makes that orchestrates that entire fight. I mean, that makes him, I mean, he's already a bad, the baddest of bad dudes. Mm-hmm. So I would expect nothing less for him to pit our our beautiful monsters against one another. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, later that evening, the three arrive at Skull Island, where they're met by numerous booby traps and defensive weapons. Uh, Iceman is stopped with a wall of fire. Spider-Man is knocked out with more poison gas by another robot TV bird. He at least comments on it this time. He's like, not again. <laughs> fucking robot tv birds and those two are both dragged away by red skull's goons so all three of the spider friends at this point have now been captured by red skull leaving just hiawatha smith uh, as the lone hero yeah inside his skull island base red skull does his you know evil monologue thing of course he's uh, uh talks about his plans to fire star spider-man and iceman who <laughs> his goons have tied up to three rockets with custom rope (laughs) yeah yeah it's like you know freezing rope on firestar heated rope on iceman uh, anti-spider-man rope on spider i don't it's i guess it's just super strong rope on him yeah (laughs) um yeah so they're tied up to these like missiles and red skull says that he's going to attack the united states 
who will in turn start the world war he intends to step in and win. It's funny because he's like referring to like the, all the superpowers. The only one he names is the U.S. He's like, U.S. Mm-hmm. will be bombed by a, will bomb a country and that country will bomb the U.S. And then they'll bomb another country and they're all, and then yeah. all the superpowers are gone, gone, which I kind of, I don't know. It's, it's like kind of weird, but also kind of smart because then it's like <laughs> not making any kind of statement and also weirdly holds up the test of time better because who is a superpower can yeah. fluctuate over time. Well, and it feels like especially relevant uh, because the way he specifically says it is like, well, relevant's not the right word, but um, the way he specifically says it is like, I think he says, I'll attack the United States who will mistakenly retaliate against another superpower like You're right yeah United, he's US basically like first. goading the united states into attacking somebody who didn't attack them and it's like which is like we, we all oh. know yeah he's like <laughs> we all know the u.s is just going to retaliate right like that's just going to happen there's no yeah. question that they're going to fire back like actually yeah that's uh that's very interesting <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know what it means but you know i i heard you I heard you when you said it. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't not buy your plan actually. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. But yeah, I mean the, the, the whole idea is that he eliminates all the superpowers, not like superhuman superpowers, but like the world, the world superpowers. Yeah. Like political superpowers. Political superpowers. Right. And he's like, yeah, he's like, since I have all the power and the money, that means that I'll be the only one left and I'll, I'll be able to take over the world. And he throws his money into the air as he says that. What a fucking queen. (laughs) That means he had money. This is like legitimately like a drag queen like reveal where he like has shit in his pockets to like throw in the air when the when the song hits a certain (laughs) beat. But like his monologue is the song. (laughs) Like, yeah, bro. (laughs) Red Skull is a drag queen confirmed. Ugh. (laughs) <laughs> uh. I don't think that's where you wanted to take that. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I, I mean, I did take it there. Yep. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's a lot. What a, He's a lot. What a dramatic fellow. He's like extra, but not in like the fun Mysterio extra way. It's like, no, like, most of the time he's just like over the top because he's a cartoon. Most of the time he's yeah. actually like, kind of menacing and scary this is i think out of out of character for him for the rest of the yeah the 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 episode to like literally be throwing money in the air although (laughs) but everything he says up to that point is just as menacing that's true although the next bit after that is also pretty pretty extra as well because he kind of assures the spider friends that hiawatha smith can't stop them because the place is surrounded by a piranha moat and he shows them how dangerous piranhas are by pulling a giant turkey leg, like, out of nowhere, he just had one prepared. See? I'm telling you. I'm telling you. He's a campy-ass queen. Yeah. He's a prop queen. He's a prop queen. Yep. Yeah, he tosses the turkey leg into the piranha the piranha tank to show them eat the, the turkey leg, in case you're wondering why he had a turkey leg. I don't yeah. <laughs> want to make that clear. He didn't just pull one out and eat it. Although that would be amazing if he did that. Yeah. I, I just love the fact that he's like, Hiawatha Smith could never stop my plans because I have a piranha moat. Yeah. Which we all see where this is okay. going. Guy who can talk to animals. <laughs> Except that's not where it goes. I know. I know. I was like, really? That's exactly really? where it should go. That would actually be smart. Right? 
it makes more sense than what happens. Because what happens is Hiawatha Smith um, like proves Red Skull wrong by not talking to Piranhas, but by faking his death. That part's actually cool. Um, yeah. Fakes his death by like basically like catapulting a boulder into the into the moat to make it sound like he dived dived in. But he doesn't talk to the piranhas, which has been established as something he can do. So weird. He, like, calls upon the something tradition and potion something or other. Like, stupid white person writing dumb, uninformed shit. Yeah. um, And puts a potion into his boomerang (laughs) and throws it around the moat to distribute whatever this potion is. I don't know. Does this potion kill them? I don't think so. Does it make them sleep? I don't know. Like, what is he even doing to them? But whatever he does makes them either die or swim down to the bottom of the moat or, like, not give a shit about him. And he just swims across the moat anyway. This is also the scene where I think it's the only time in this episode where they play, like, the very typical Native American stock music, basically, in the background. Yeah. Um, it's when he's, like, calling on his ancestors or yeah. whatever dumb Which, shit. Which, you know, like. it's one of those things, like, I'm I'm positive that they just pulled some stock music out of a library that they already had. Yeah. And so it's, like, even if it's, even if the music itself is, is like, f- from an actual indigenous culture or something like that, I almost doubt it is. But even if it is, like, it's still inauthentic, inherently inauthentic that they're just using whatever it is for this very vaguely indigenous person, you know? It just adds to the weird, bizarre indigenous collage that he is, right? Like, Mm -hmm. the stuff he displays in his home doesn't match the reference of his name, doesn't match the boomerang that is his primary weapon, doesn't match probably the music. Like, nothing, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We've beaten that dead horse, but it just keeps coming up (laughs) with him, unfortunately. And and the more it comes up, the more I agree with you that, like, I kind of just wish they had made him like an Indiana Jones ripoff, but who was native, Yeah, you know, like yeah. that would have been the cool, that would have been the cool twist and subversion of ripping off Indiana Jones is by making him indigenous because that's who Indiana Jones steals from. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he does a weird boomerang thing to, to the piranhas and I don't know what he's doing, but Whatever. he does it. It doesn't matter. And nobody liked it. <laughs> nope. It was terrible. Sucked. Worst part of this episode probably. <laughs> It honestly probably is. It's really uh, uh, yeah, yeah, which says a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. but I'll I'll put it just after the the salutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that that is that's the worst part. But yeah. but yeah, worst worst part is is that. Um, inside, uh, the Red Skull begins to launch the missiles. <laughs> cool. Um, but he doesn't fully succeed because Hiawatha Smith grapples into the base and frees Firestar. He's smart. He knows exactly who to free first because then she's <laughs> yeah. able, right? Like he knows what he's doing. That's always the person you should free first is Firestar in my opinion mm-hmm. because it prevents her rocket from being launched and frees her up to save Spider-Man and Iceman. And then after saving those two, she's also able to turn the missiles back around on Skull Island because she is the best spider friend. Yep. Yep. <laughs> The, the goons recognize that they're about to be blown to smithereens. Love this. So they decide to just desert <laughs> Red Skull. <laughs> yep. And they're like, hey, hey, heroes, y'all want to just fly away with us? Like, we're, we're changing to your side. You guys are way cooler. You don't creep us out. You don't, like, do, you don't throw money into the air and, like, make weird, weird facial expressions. We're going to team up with you guys. And, and the spider friends are like, I get you're Nazis, but I guess you know you're the one yeah. way off of this. We'll island, let you so fly us go. out, but you're still Nazis. <laughs> yeah, 
they're go- they all go on Red Skull's Red Skull's aircraft. Spider-Man does make a valiant attempt to save Red Skull, but Skull's like, no, my treasure, and runs back into the room, and Spidey's like, I, I guess I'll just let this guy die. It's fine. Yeah. And he swings off to join <laughs> the group. There's the comical, I tried. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't blame him at all. So yeah. he swings off to join the group in the air- aircraft, and Skull Island explodes. Blows right up. Two episodes in a row where something just explodes at the end of the episode. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Well, back at Professor Smith's house, he shares that the government has found no trace of Red Skull, but that they should stay on the lookout because somehow he always comes back. And I like that they included that. I don't know if they meant anything more by it than just simply Red Skull always finds a way to come back. But it feels especially relevant watching this in 2021. Because as we now know, unfortunately, um, Nazism comes back. Yep. And you have to keep fighting it. And you need to be on the lookout. Yeah. What else? What more is there to say about that? It's uh, very depressing. Fuck Nazis. Absolutely. They absolutely didn't expect that to happen in 1981 when they were doing this. Well, the episode ends with one last little scene. The spider friends depower just as Flash and Mona pass by. And they're, of course, taking jabs at Peter for being a creep. I, I mean, is that like, I, don't, I, I, I think I don't we've know. talked about this. I think we talked about this when we first covered Amazing Friends. The word creep very clearly means something different yeah. in 1981, and I do not fully understand it. Yeah. I mean, because they're just sort of like, <laughs> he's a creep, but he is a creep that brought us together. <laughs> it's like, okay, okay, okay. Sure. Yeah. All right. You weirdos. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I I didn't have the subtitles when I was watching this. Does Iceman call Peter Petey Babe? Is that a thing that happens? Because it sounds oh. like that's what he calls him, but I can't I can't imagine that's what he actually says. I honestly don't know. I didn't note that, but I I'm not sure. Because he's, he's, he's like, hey, PD babe, or something like that. Like, a affectionate but also making fun of them kind of way because, you know, they're, they like want to make Peter feel better but are also still taking jabs because that's that's how they are. It right. sounds like he says PD babe, but I did not have the subtitles for I it. I mean, so. whether he says it or not, I will believe it. Yeah. It's in character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, there's no, never going to go back and try to watch it again, so there's no way we'll ever know what he actually says. Impossible says. to know. We'll just have to assume that he said PD babe. Yeah. But yeah, so Bobby and Angelica grab an irritated Peter, turn him around, and the three walked away with their arms interlinked, and it's very cute. Yeah, because they're in a polyamorous relationship. Oh, they should be, actually. (laughs) That would be sweet. They really should be. They really should be. That's, you know, I think we talked last week about the show where the spider friends are actually, like, heroes but kind of a nuisance to everybody. Uh Uh-huh. Let that also be the show where they're explicitly in a polyamorous relationship with one another and many other people. I like it. Yeah, yeah, be great. Well, couple faces. Uh, there are actually quite a few faces in this in this episode worth mentioning, but we pulled out a few. I, you know, didn't note the subtitles at the end of the episode, but I do love this frame with the subtitle. Hey, something's wrong with you, bird. <laughs> I don't know why that tickled me so much, but Spider Man is right because the bird in question is a robot TV bird, and there is definitely something wrong with them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, seeing them in conjunction, it's just like, all right, bud. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, maybe you were onto something here. <laughs> yep. The other one is just we mentioned it before, but Red Skull just makes the ridiculous, the most ridiculous faces in this in this episode. Yeah, really um, does. This one, it's a close up on his face that is uh, just just an unfortunate looking frame. <laughs> with yeah. Him. Eyes are crossed. His like his mouth is just all over the place. He's got big gaps in his teeth. Like and none of those things are like bad or wrong or anything like that. Like in in general. But when you're all throwing them together on a villain that you're trying to make very menacing, it's just um, weird. It's not. Good. It's a juxtaposition for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. I mean, we said a whole lot at the top of this episode. We said a whole lot during the episode, but I guess like, I don't know, like where, where Mm -hmm. are you at with this episode and how they chose to tackle things now that we've sort of picked things apart? Um, I, I don't really feel that much different by the end of this than I did when we started talking, to be honest. I think that it's Mm -hmm. a, it's a really, it is a fascinating episode. Bottom line, it is a mixed bag of an episode. And I think like we've said over and over again, there's a lot of stuff, obviously there's a lot of stuff that's problematic in it, but like less so with the Nazi stuff. Uh, it's really all just with Hiawatha Smith, you know, and, and even he himself is honestly a really cool character. It's just all of the details and the way that, that they, you know, the, yeah. the way that they handled him in the way that you really would expect for a 1981 show to do. Um, yeah. But the stuff that I didn't expect was how I, I didn't expect the 1981 show to handle addressing Nazism and fascism in the way that it does so directly. And obviously, you know, there you could there's arguable missteps. But I think overall, I think it's actually a really good, like legitimately sort of educational take on it that they clearly were writing with kids in mind to sort of help kids understand what this event was and to kind of contextualize it a little bit. And I think, you know, the the argument is is whether or not it went far enough, but I think it did a lot of stuff surprisingly right, and I'm kind of impressed with how directly they addressed everything. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at currently, too, is like I'm mostly just impressed and admire what they what I think they set out to do. Right. I, I, I'm just shocked. And I think part of that is expectations versus reality, because my expectations were kind of hot garbage. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know why I just took at face value the fact that like this episode not being readily available meant that it was going to be worse than it actually is. I probably should have taken the context clues of it's really only not available on Disney plus as a sign. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. Like I'm just, I'm, I'm much more impressed um, than I, than I thought I would be, you know, of course, like you said, though, still plenty to be, <laughs> to be discussed, yeah. uh, especially with Hiawatha Smith, but his inclusion at all really surprised me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely, definitely a fascinating episode that I hope to find more reading about, somewhere somehow like i just it's it's fascinating yeah this is definitely one that i think would be interesting to revisit with anyone (laughs) who has uh strong (laughs) yeah honestly a a number of people actually i think could uh contribute to like kind of talking about this one with like different experiences and knowledge bases just because it deals with so many different things you know (laughs) yeah and and or leaves out important things like it's just i i have to imagine that this is the kind of episode that creates a really wide spectrum of reactions to it um you know i feel like we kind of fall very in the middle with it but i can definitely see people being very far on the like no this is 
this is horrible and should never exist and the actually it's even better than you said it was sort of spectrum and and to varying nuances on on that spectrum yeah i think i probably fall like pretty positively on this one Me to too. be honest yeah, like yeah, I, I, think so. I i think it's a a really valuable piece of television <laughs> like mm-hmm. given given who it's aimed at and and the sort of space it exists in so yeah it's what, a, what a wild wild episode really really was not expecting to to be able to sort of get as much out of it as i did yeah uh, i mean r- real talk like whenever we do amazing friends it's always like these will be the the breezy episodes most of the time um, yeah. you know with oh, certain sure. exceptions there, obviously there'll be certain problematic stuff that'll come <laughs> up but like for the most part it's just like or ones that just make me you know, lose touch with reality. <laughs> yeah. But like, it's, 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 yeah, it's definitely unexpected to, to feel the need to talk seriously and responsibly about an episode of Spider-Man and his amazing friends in the way that we did. But I'm glad that we did because it is a really, fa- like I said, very fascinating episode of television, very fascinating to see like where things were at at this point in history and everything yeah. too. So, um, and you know, it's a weird one to like kind of end our coverage of amazing friends on for a while because it's, but I'm, that kind of feels good, though. It does. It does. I feel like we're kind of leaving it on, on a good place for for a bit until we, you know, inevitably we return to it. So I agree. I like it. Lots to talk about. Mm-hmm. Well, if you would like to hear us talk even more about all sorts of things, um, sometimes as seriously as this and sometimes not seriously at all, um, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. Just going to say, very weird segue to have to make. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's no way to make that work and not be weird. Nope. <laughs> but check out our Patreon. Um, we recently, like within the past month, have started adding some new stuff. We had a really productive month in the month of May. Um, lots of stuff going out um, on there. So check it out. See what's available. Something on there might be for you. Um, in the meantime, if you would like more from Derek or me individually, you can find us all over the place. Um, Derek, where can people find you and the stuff you're working on? Sure. You can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. You can find me on YouTube under my video essay series, Second Chance, which looks at bad or divisive media, but from a positive lens. What about you, Doug? You can find me on Twitter at IckyBooley, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. You can find me on another podcast here on the 4 Eyed Radio Network called Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast where my co-host Kyle and I talk about Pokemon just as we feel like it. And if you like books and video games, check me out on a podcast called Novel Gaming, where my friends Katie and Vicky and I catch up on all the books and games we've been consuming lately. If you like Pixar movies, you should check out our monthly podcast called Falling with Style. It's an ongoing Pixar movie marathon where we watch every Pixar film chronologically. Our episode on Wally is out now with two very cool guests available wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on our website at wallopingwebsnappers.com for an archive of all of our Walloping Web Snappers and Falling with Style episodes in a very easy to navigate way. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Walloping Web Pod, or email us at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com. Especially in light of this particular episode, we would love to hear um, your thoughts on this one, especially if you're more qualified to talk about these things, if you're more educated to talk about these things. Um, if you want to talk to us specifically about this episode, we would love it. Um, I feel like we could talk about this episode four times with four different people and have four completely different discussions. Yeah. Even if we don't want to do a full revisited episode, like real soon, if yeah. there's just like, th- we can do a bonus or something like that. Totally. Um, if totally. You know, whether you write, get, send us a long email or want to actually like talk with us, you know, on a, on a, on a podcast or something like that, we would love it. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure that there are people with 
a lot of thoughts <laughs> for, yeah, for the yeah. subject matter. Yeah. And we want to, we want folks who are seeing through lenses that we don't see through, you know? So, um, reach out, let us know. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Because if you like what we're doing, somebody else will too. And those ratings and reviews help people find us. Next week, we are returning to the spectacular Spider-Man to revisit the episode Reinforcement with a special guest. Heck yeah. Hashtag release the spectacular Spider-Man cut. <laughs> oh, yes. Of course. <laughs> and punch a Nazi, everybody. Punch a Nazi. Yeah. See ya. See ya. And when he arrives as Speeder Man, oh my God. <laughs> Why can't I talk? Why can't I talk? Speederman. When he arrives as Speederman. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Oh. Uh.